Have your Bibles. I'm going to ask you to turn with me. Start. We're going to start at uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse number one. Hebrews, chapter 12, verse number one. Because uh, I want to, you know, we, we started last week with this series we entitled Restoring Your Soul in Times of Trauma, Hurt, or Depression. How many of y'all have ever faced some trauma in your life? How many of you ever faced some hurt in your life? How many of you have uh, had a spirit of de- depression that tried to get all over you? And make you feel like, mm, like, ain't, you know, it's, life ain't worth living. You know, or maybe, you know, you, you, you're down in the doldrums. You know, you're not really enthusiastic about your faith walk. You come to church. You never stop coming to church. But really, if, 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 if we were to cut you open and to get a raw, honest look at where you were spiritually, there were some times when you were just flat. You were dead spiritually. I mean, not that you lost your salvation, but you, there was no level of excitement about your walk with the Lord. You were not anxious to, to try to meet somebody and share Christ with them. You were not anxious about even participating in the church services. And so you were just kind of coming. And so we've been in those situations before. But uh, when you're in a situation like that, trauma, hurt or depression, uh, there, there, there is a process of restoration that God wants to take us through. And he, he always wants to get us back to a place in him to where there's joy, there's excitement, and there's, uh, there is a, a passion for him. And so as your pastor, I don't want to ever be guilty of allowing anybody to stay there. Uh, you know, when those things happen in our life, we, we, yes, we go through them, but we're going to allow the Lord to change us in the middle of that so that we can get back to our proper place in him, Okay. So let's look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter, before we get into our, the meat of our lesson tonight. We're going to look at Peter tonight. And what we're going to deal with is just uh, from this subject and talking about failing someone you love. What happens when you fail someone you love? And we look at Peter's who had one of the, uh, the most epic failures that's recorded in the Holy Scripture when he uh, denied the master. After having been so boisterous and bold about he would never do so, he denied knowing Jesus Christ. And that was an epic failure. And so uh, all of us in here, I'm sure, have had situations in our life. It may not have been at the same magnitude as that, but we've had times where we failed or we've disappointed people who love us. We failed and, and, and rightfully so. It was our fault. We made a bad choice, a bad decision that caused us to uh, hurt someone. Amen? Or we may went through a traumatic situation or whatever, but Tonight, we're talking about failing someone you love. But let's look at this 12th uh, chapter, verse number one here, because what we need to realize is that this spiritual journey that's called life, in many ways, is sort of like a marathon. Anybody know how far a marathon is? 26.2 miles, right? That means uh, people run 26.2 miles. You think about that. I know some of y'all, it's hard for you to even grasp <laughs> somebody to run 26.2 miles. Some of y'all have trouble driving 26.2 miles, don't you? You're like, Lord Jesus, when are we going to get there? <laughs> but they run for 26.2 miles. And that's a long period of time. And, and, and as you go through, I've never ran a marathon, but I've, I've read about it. Yvonne, I think you ran a half marathon, right? And as you go through that race, um, there's, there's different ebb and flows during the course of that 26.2 miles. Okay, there are times when you're hurting. There, there are times when your mind is telling you stop, 
or your body is telling you stop. Your mind is saying keep pushing, but your body said I'm hurting. That the, your my thighs are hurting. Your feet start talking to you, and then there's other times during that race for you when you get what you call that second wind. And uh, and then there's times when you, you, you're going through that and you look like you're about to die. But then toward the end, when you see you know you know down the road, you see the crowd, you see the finish line, and it's all of a sudden people who look like they were dying three miles back, all of a sudden they get they they take off and they sprint through the finish line. And so our life is somewhat like a marathon. Sometimes sometimes we have those painful periods, those times when when it looks like we're just not going to make it, those times when we're hurting those times when we're going through. Uh, but what I've learned, I don't know about you, but what I've learned is, is that uh, to expect those things to happen. Uh, but I've also learned that when those things do happen, if I'm truly standing in faith, I, I, I don't allow those things to get me to doubt that God is who he says he is and that he'll do exactly what he said he'll do. Because ultimately, uh, scripture does tell us in Hebrews 11 and 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The person that comes to God has to believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who do what? Who diligently seek him. So we know that it's our faith walk uh, that gets us into the proper place with God. There are times when stuff will come in our life that will cause us to doubt, uh, you know, that God's going to come through for us. But guess what? Uh, we got to not, not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are what? Not seen. So when we look at this, look at Hebrews 12 and 1. Let's read it right quick and we're going to move into the, the meat of our text. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance or patience the race God has set before us. Every one of us in here have a race that's set before us. Every born again believer has a race that is set before us. All of us in here have an opportunity to run this race well. Uh, God, God uh, is not a respect of persons and God will, will allow each one of us to push forward and finish this race strong, finish this marathon, marathon called life in a strong and vibrant way. So look at this next verse here. Look at the next verse. It says this. We do this by keeping our eyes where? On Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The right hand of, of the throne of God is where Jesus Christ abides right now. But what we see from here, from this text and from this passage is, is that we, the way we're going to keep focus on this race and the way we're going to not get tied up is we got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So whenever I take my eyes off of Jesus, whenever I take my eyes off of his word and I start focusing in on my problems and I start focusing in on my circumstances, that's when the enemy has the opportunity to come in and try to disrupt my life. Amen. By bringing a spirit of depression, by by bringing hurt into my life, by bringing trauma into my life. And, and if I keep my eyes on Jesus, no matter what's happening around me, I can still stand in faith and I can still have amen, a man, a spirit of, of encouragement flowing through my body such that I can live this life in a way that's that that is full of joy. God came that we Jesus said, I come that you may have life and that you may have it what more abundantly. 
So if I'm not experiencing the abundant life, abundance means that I'm, I'm, I'm living in such a way that that the joy of the Lord is abiding on the inside of me. And I'm allowing him to have his rightful place, the preeminent place in my life. Are you tracking with me tonight? So that's what we got to do. It is a it, this journey of life is a marathon. But we we have Jesus, the author and defense of our faith, who's pulling for us. And he wants us the very best for us. So let's get back. Go to Matthew, the 26th chapter, because ultimately, you know, when we look at your outline, I gave you the print, the abiding principle that we're going to focus in on tonight is, is that putting too much confidence in others or in yourself will always lead to dashed expectations and fractured relationships. That was when we put too much confidence in people. Now, then, li- listen, when I say this now, we ought to have people in our life who we trust and depend on. But ultimately, we cannot forget that all of us in here are human humans and all of us in here are subject to, to messing up. All of us in here are subject to letting people down. So so you and I as born again believers must always, I mean, no matter what's going on in our life, no matter you know, who, who we're in connection with, always keep your eyes on Jesus. Are you following me? If you get too focused on the people who are in your life, amen, to the detriment of, of, of looking at Jesus, then when those people fall, they're going to hurt you deeply. And when those people fall, then it, if you're not careful, it'll cause you to pull away from your God. All right. I, I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I love all of y'all, but don't you dare make me your God. Don't you dare put me in a place that I was never uh, supposed to be in. Now, again, you ought to have a pastor who you can trust. You ought to have a pastor who you can go and counsel with. You ought to have a pastor who who you believe is teaching you the word of God. But never put me in a place that I was never designed to be. And I promise you, I won't put you in a place that you were never designed to be. Right. Because ultimately, people fail. Ultimately, people let you down. Ultimately, people do stuff that's disappointing. Okay, Uh, a guy named Charlton Collins said this in prosperity. Our friends know us in adversity. We know our friends. Let that sink in for a second. He says in prosperity, our friends know us. I promise you, if you if not that I want you to win the lottery, but just suppose you won the lottery. Next week, and and you and, and that thing was at five hundred million dollars, and then people find out you won that. Or let's just say you 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 came into an inheritance or whatever. Or maybe maybe uh, on the on the job you whatever you you started out uh, you know putting money into the into the company's uh, stock and that stock took off uh, exponentially. Maybe you had Amazon stock before Amazon was Amazon like it is now. All right. Maybe you had some Microsoft or some what's the other one? Google stock. Uh, you got in on the on, on, on the ground floor. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? When I, some of y'all looking like stock. What is a stock? OK, uh, investing in a company that now it may be selling at a thousand dollars a share. You bought it at two dollars a share. And then once one Sunday you get up and you, you give your praise to poor pastor. I want to thank the Lord Jesus that he gave me wisdom to invest in that stock. Uh, when it was when it was two dollars a share and now it's a thousand dollars a share. And pastor, my my mutual fund account now, which invests in that stock now is valued at over six hundred thousand dollars. Now, all of a sudden, everybody know you got money. <laughs> and now, all of a sudden, you're going to have more friends than you can shake a stick at. Look at what that guy says again. One more time. What did he say? He says in prosperity, our friends know us. 
in adversity, we know our friends. See, as long as I'm buying everything, I'm buying the drinks, I'm buying the barbecue, and you come to my house and eat up all the food and everything, everything's cool, right? Until I don't have any money and can't feed you, then you don't come around me. Now I know who my friends really are. Are y'all, are y'all tracking with me? See, friends are born for adversity. Friends, true friends are there when you are going through something. True friends are there when, when, when you're not on top. Those fake friends, they leave when the money leaves and when the good time leaves, okay? So, so as we go through here, let's, let's walk through. We're going to take a look at Peter in Matthew, the 26th chapter, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 57, Matthew 26. And this is a very familiar passage of scripture. But I want, I want us to, to, to dive into it. Let's take a look at Peter's life. Because when we look at Peter, you know, the apostle Peter, most of y'all who study your Bibles and have been in, in church for any prolonged period of time know that Peter was a man of intense passion, which y'all agree. Peter was the one who would always be the first one to speak. And oftentimes, as Peter spoke, uh, when, you, when you begin to delve into the scriptures, sometimes Peter was speaking for the group. But he was the one that would always stand up and say something. Because, see, in church you have, you have people who say stuff and others who won't say anything. And a lot of times the one who stands up and say something is talking for the ones who won't say anything. All right? Peter was the one who would jump out front and he was, he was sort of, I can imagine he was kind of a, more of a loud, uh, boisterous type person. One who would just, just, just jump up and speak without even thinking. All right? Do y'all have any of those kind of people in your life? Are you that kind of person? who jumps up and says stuff without even praying it through and talking it through. He was a man of intense passion. He invested 100% of himself in everything that he did. And again, we need some Peters in the church. We need some folks who say, come on, let's go get it, Pastor. Because you can't have everybody just laid back, well, you know, whatever, case survive, survive, whatever's going to be, going to be. You know, we just chilling in the, at the EVC. No, we need to go do some work. So we need some Peters. And we need some laid back folks too sometimes to help us chill, right? But Peter was the type of guy that, 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 that was, that was uh, somewhat of an extremist. And, um, and so he, uh, he had success, but he also had failures. Like many of us do, like all of us do, okay? Peter experienced miraculous jailbreaks. Y'all remember that? And he experienced Pentecostal fire. And he experienced evangelistic revival. And, and he also experienced some intense persecution. But look at this right here. We get into this, this 26th chapter, verse 157. The Bible says that then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. The text says, meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. Next verse, inside the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. The text says, but even though they had found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days, 62. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. Watch this. Jesus replied, you have said it 
And in the future, you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. 65 says, then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, blasphemy. Why do we need other witnesses? You have you, you have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Let's keep moving. It says what? Then they began to spit in Jesus face and beat him with their fists and some slapped him. Uh, jeering, prophesied to us, you, you Messiah, who hit you that time? Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Keep reading. Again, Peter denied it. This time with an oath, I don't know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. All right. 75. Suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Okay, now, again, let's 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 backtrack a little bit. So we see uh, Peter, if you remember, was part of Jesus's inner circle. Peter, James and John was were the ones that were on the mountain of transfiguration. Right. When Jesus was transformed, they saw him in his glory. So he was he had a close connection to the master, even more so than the, than than the rest of the twelve. Uh, and so so but he was fiercely devoted to Jesus. He was also the most outspoken about his commitment. And so uh, Peter even announced that, that he would die for the master if need be a promise that he was no doubt willing to fulfill. Go, go with me right quick. If y'all will uh, go to go to Mark, the eighth chapter. Let's look at Mark, chapter eight, verse number thirty one right quick. But we see from the text that we just read, in spite of the depth of his commitment and and the fervor of his devotion, Peter failed our Lord in a profoundly personal way. It wasn't that he he neglected duty. He wasn't he didn't fail to do what he was told. Peter's failure was a breach of trust. And guys, when people violate our trust, it hurts. When 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 people uh, who we put our trust in let us down and people who we who love us and we 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 if we hurt them uh it's 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 a it's, it's a very painful thing which i'll agree would you agree that it's painful when someone who you have your trust in lets you down and if you really have a commitment and and and, and connection with that person you love that person when you fail them it hurts you deeply the text said that peter went out and he wept bitterly because he remembered, amen, what Jesus uh, had prophesied that he was going to do. Now look at, but, but watch this. Let's, let's take a look a little bit further into this. Uh, let's see what we can learn about Peter from the following passages that we're going to go through. Okay. All right. Uh, verse uh, 31 says, then Jesus began to tell them that the son of man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would arise from the dead. Here, here Jesus, this, this is one of three occasions where he is telling the disciples about his 
impending death. Now, again, here's the Messiah speaking to his followers, letting them know what's going to transpire. But now watch this. As he talked about this opening with his disciples, Peter took him aside. Jesus, come in, come in, come in. Took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such thing. Now think of the audacity of this. Here the Messiah, knowing his purpose, knowing his assignment, knowing what he came from the Father to do, and now the KJV says, Peter began to rebuke him. Peter begins to rebuke the master, telling him, you don't need to be talking like that. that ain't, that's, that's not going to happen. Keep reading. Watch this. Watch this. The text says this. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples. Then he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. And guys, right here, what we're going to realize, even though Peter, just kind of make a mental note of this or jot it down, even though Peter had passion, even though he had intensity, and I believe that when Peter said what he said, he meant what he said, but how many know you can have zeal, but not according to knowledge? That's what Paul said over in the book of Romans. See, we see here that Peter's was zealous. He was intense. He was passionate. And we need intense, passionate, zealous people in the body of Christ. But we need, we need you to have it according to knowledge. Go to Romans 10 with me right quick. Come on. Let's watch. Walk, walk, walk with me right quick. Because there are people who, you know, who are really passionate and enthusiastic. But if you, if you don't have a found, spiritual foundation then that zeal can, can, can really take you in the wrong direction. Romans, the 10th chapter, verse number one. I remember when I was growing up as a young teenager, when I go to revival service, this was a scripture that people always read. Uh, let, let's go to the King James version of the scripture on this, Romans, the 10th chapter, verse number one. So, so we see, uh, first of all, Peter, Peter, we know, was, was zealous and he was passionate but he was not viewing life from God's perspective. And everyone in here, you're a born again believer. You should seek and strive to have a biblical worldview. When you look at society, when you look at what's going on in our culture, don't look at it from the culture's vantage point, but look at it from a biblical worldview. What has happened in a lot of our churches is, is that churches have uh, and in a lot of cases have decided to incorporate the cultural's way of thinking and, and let that infiltrate the doctrine of the church. Are you listening to me? And guys, we, we can't afford to do that. We got to make sure that we're looking at life, looking at our families, looking at how we handle our money from a biblical perspective. As your pastor, guys, my ability to help you in, in, to grow in your faith and my ability to shepherd you is going to be limited if you don't want to follow the Bible. If, if, if you don't want to follow the Bible, at some point in time, what I'm saying is not going to resonate with you very well because I'm going to stick with what the word says. All right. So you got to decide, do I believe that the Bible is God's word and will I take it and begin to to govern my life by it? Watch what the text says. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israelis that they might be saved. This is Paul talking. And, and Paul was a Jew. He, 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 he was a, he was Jewish by birth. And he's talking, he's praying, he says, for I, for I bear them record that they have a what? Zeal of God, 
but not according to knowledge. You can be zealous about something, but if you don't have the right knowledge, the foundation, your zealousness can get you in a whole lot of trouble. Right? For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Watch what he says here. Uh, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now again, as Paul is talking here, he's, he's, he's saying, I'm praying for my kinfolk. Because my kinfolk are still trying to get to God under the old covenant. And God has a new way. Can I get a witness? The old way was just a schoolmaster to bring us up to the way that God had in mind all along. But my people are still trying to get to God in a way that's, that's unlearned. Are y'all tracking with me? Okay. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Verse 4 says what? Uh, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believe it. Verse 5. For Moses described the righteousness of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. 26. But the righteousness which is of faith speaking on this wise. Don't say in your heart who shall ascend from heaven. Uh, who shall ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Verse 8, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in our mouth and in our heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Watch the word of faith. Watch the next verse is what? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. All right? Verse, verse 10 says what? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What he's telling his, his Jewish brothers is that, listen, your way of getting right with God, you're still trying to do it by bringing animal sacrifice. You're still trying to do it by observing holy days. You're still trying to do it by certain dress code. That ain't the way you get right with God. He says, righteousness with God comes by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us out on Calvary. Are y'all tracking with me today? So, so here we see Paul doing it. So, so don't be zealous Without knowledge. It's good to be zealous, but have the right knowledge in the foundation. Okay, let's get back. That's what Peter was. Peter, we see in Mark, the eighth chapter, verse 31 to 34, that Jesus said that, listen, uh, you know, you, you, you don't have the right perspective. You don't have God's viewpoint. Pop, pop Mark 8, uh, 34 one more time for us. Let's soak on that and then we'll go to the next one. So we see that Peter had zeal, passion, but it, it was not correctly focus or it was not a man born out of the right the right thing he says then calling the crowd to join his disciples he said if any of you wants to be my follower you must turn from your selfish ways take up your cross and follow me go back to 33 right quick 33 says what uh jesus turned around and looked at the disciples then he reprimanded peter get away from me satan now why did he say get away from me satan was peter saved he was speaking to what was inspiring or, or you know what was what was motivated he he says, get behind, get away from me, Say You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Okay? So in life, we want to make sure that we see things from a human point of view. So what do we, the first thing we learn is that Peter had zeal, but he was looking at life from the wrong perspective. And sometimes in life, guys, if we're not careful, we'll be looking at life from the way that we were brought up. And sometimes the way we were brought up wasn't the right way. In a way, maybe sometimes your family of origin thinks a certain way and it has you thinking a certain way. And, and if your family of origin's way of thinking 
contradicts God's way of thinking, your family of origin's way of thinking has got to go. Amen. Again, we got to make sure we do it God's way. Look at let's go to John 13, chapter right there. John 13, verse one through nine. So we see that Peter was Peter was zealous, but he he didn't see life. Amen. From God's vantage point. John 13, verse number one says before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and, and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. Verse number two. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, uh, to betray Jesus. The text says this. Uh, Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Who's doing this right now? Talk to Jesus and he's girding himself and he's washing the disciples feet. Now, again, you that study your Bible know that it was customary that that uh, in, in, in houses at that time, because they had dusty road, they didn't have asphalt and concrete roads. So if you walk the streets of any city, uh, you know, some some places in Rome maybe had some brick roads. But but by and large, you, your feet would get dusty and they wore sandals. Any of y'all wear sandals? Any of y'all free? You can wear sandals and don't mind about looking at your toes. Anybody? All right. So you're wearing sandals. They wore sandals and dust would get on their feet. And so one of the one of the 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 lowliest task, uh, the the uh, lowliest task of a servant was to wash the feet of visitors that came to the house. And so here we see Jesus always teaching guys. Here we see Jesus, the master, giving a spiritual lesson to his disciples because he's getting ready to go. His time is short. And these boys been arguing about who could be the greatest in the kingdom. These boys want to know what my position is going to be. What time am I going to have? Where am I going to sit? Listen, guys, when you go to a place, go and take the seat that's, that's available. Don't try to get to the front because you may be asked to go to the back. It's better to be asked up than to be asked down, right? Can I get a witness? If, whenever I go, <laughs> if I go to a church service, I'm not trying to make a beeline to the pulpit. As a matter of fact, I would rather sit out there. But because... If I go and sit in the pulpit and maybe five other guys come out the back and they come up there and then I got to move and go sit down. I, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't phase me one iota. I'm not trying to get the VIP seat. Now, I know some of y'all like to have the VIP seats and, you know, and, and, and that's fine. It always it, it amazes me. Sometimes some of these conferences, you, you can pay some extra money to sit in the VIP seat. Uh, I, I'm going to sit where I can get a good seat where I can hear. All right. But so don't don't be in such a hurry to get into a place, amen, especially when you try to push your way into a place. Do y'all know any of those kind of pushy people? Listen, sit where you can sit. But Jesus is now, again, remember, he's getting ready to go back, go, go back to the Father of Heaven. He, he knows he's on his way to the, to the cross of Calvary. And so now he's, he's teaching an object lesson to his disciples. Amen. If you're going to be first, you got to be last. If you if you're gonna if God is gonna lift you up, you gotta humble yourself. So what he's doing now in, in wrapping the towel around him with the basin, he's teaching the object lesson that guys, if you're really gonna serve men, you gotta learn how to serve people. You can't be so high that you can't do something as menial as washing somebody's feet. Watch this. When Jesus now watch this. When Jesus came to Simon, 
uh, Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Look at the next verse. Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter explained, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. Now again, what made Peter say, no, Lord, no. Kind of like some of us in here. Kind of like some, you know, maybe there's a little bit of pride in there somewhere along the way. You know, no, no, Jesus, you you, you don't need to wash my feet. Okay. Uh, You know, just like. I told you before, you know, many of us, like I used to be, had trouble receiving from people because and I think it was a little bit of a pride thing. You know, somebody comes to give you something. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. I, that's OK. Never mind. Never mind. Like I said, some of y'all been praying for gas money. Somebody put some money in your hand. You tell them, no. What, what kind of stuff is that? OK. <laughs> I, I need to see how many of y'all have ever had trouble receiving anybody in the house. Look at look at all those hands going up. Somebody trying to bless you. Oh, no, 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 no. Now, some of y'all, don't, some of y'all receive and go beyond. But I mean. <laughs> but guys, don't let pride get in the way. If somebody's trying to bless you and God places upon their heart to bless you, receive it and learn how to just say thank you. Because God is also working in them, teaching them how to be a giver. But here you are. With your, with your prideful self won't receive what God is trying to get into your hands. Amen. So I, 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 I had to learn how to repent from that. And sometimes I still, to be honest with you, sometimes I struggle with that a little bit today. No, so, I'm cool. I got it. Are y'all with me? So learn how to receive. So Simon Peter explained, then wash my hands and heads and Lord, head as, as well, Lord, not just my feet. Look at the next verse. Says Jesus replied, a person who has who has bathed who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. All right, he's, he's, we're going to stop right there, but because um, the text says Jesus knew who was going to betray him. But but think about Peter. What 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 characteristic do we see in Peter here in this passage? Was that a little bit of pride there? Uh, you know, it he 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 refused at first to let Jesus wash his feet. Let's go one more. Mark the 14th chapter, verse number 27. Mark 14 and 27. Mark 14, verse number 27. Failing someone you love. Peter, the Bible says, went out and wept bitterly. Guys, when we when we let people down who we love and we truly love them and have a heart for God. It hurts us. It'll hurt you deeply when you fail the one you love. And we see Peter being hurt deeply. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. There he is again. Peter, the passionate one, Peter, the intense one, Peter, the one who always spoke up. Even if everyone else deserts you, that's not going to be my story. Are y'all listening to me? Look at the next verse. Watch this. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times 
that you even know me. You will deny three times you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. Now, Peter one spoke up first, but everybody else vowed the very same thing. All right. Now, but we know what happened, right? We know that Peter did actually deny the master. Uh, go to uh, look down with me at 30. Look at let's read 32 right quick. Let's go 32. Then went to the they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told him, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. Our father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now watch this. Then he returned and found disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep keep watching, pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but what? But the body is weak. Next verse. Let's go. So then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. Uh, when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open and they didn't know what to say. Uh, when he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But know the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, look at 42. Up. Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Now, you guys know um, that um, uh, if you go to. John 18 chapter, go to John 18 chapter, verse number one. We're going to see where the, the Peter who said, I'm, I, I'm not going to deny him. I'll be with you all the way. That very same Peter, when they came to arrest him, what did he do? He showed some bravery, didn't he? What did he do? Peter worked that blade. And by all accounts, when you study, most commentators say that you had to be very skillful to take a, a, a blade out Knife out like that and slice off somebody's ear. That's that's preciseness. So he knew how to work work that blade. But now, but again, I'm thinking about this here. When when the soldiers came, he showed a measure of, of courage and bravery. Yet a few hours later, isn't that so much like us? Sometimes we're strong. We can handle that thing that comes. That temptation. Then you know, next day we fall and fail. The Bible says, after saying these things, Jesus crossed the, the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered into the grove of, of, of olives. I, I'm not going to read all this because my time is moving. But, but notice that when you read the, the rest of that text, Peter violently confronted the temple guard in the Garden of Gethsemane when they prepared to arrest Jesus. And, and so he undoubtedly, guys, believed that this was his opportunity to die for Jesus. And he was ready. He showed his ready. But then a few hours later, he publicly denied it. Now, again, uh, what principle can we draw from this situation about the temptation to fail those who love? Now, keep in mind, again, Peter was prepared. He appeared to be prepared when, when they came to arrest Jesus and he took out his sword. But go to Mark, the 14th chapter, verse number 66 through 72 right quick. What principle can we draw from the situation about the temptation to fail those who, 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 who love us? Okay who we fail those we love. Because anybody here ever fail or messed up? Mark the 14th chapter, 
Anybody ever disappointed somebody who you love? I think we all, if we're honest about it, there were times. And it, it, it may be at, at different levels or, or different things, but it does not feel good when somebody who you love is hurting and, and feeling all down and out and crying and despondent because of an action that you did. And so we're going to see here uh, in, in our time left, we're going we're gonna to roll through and, and take a look at some scriptures here. But uh, because I want you to realize that when, when we do face a time like that, we need to know that God is a forgiving God. And as people of God, as God's representative, we have to learn how to forgive. And in, in, in many cases, God is going to call for us to restore the relationship. And in some cases, the relationship may not ever be restored. But I, I believe God's best is restoration. Okay? I believe God's best is restoration. Because that's what he does for us, right? How many times do we mess up with God? And yet he, 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 he calls us back to our proper place in him. He doesn't throw us away. And so what I'm, I'm going to say, I believe God's best is restoration. There, there's some instances where restoration is not possible and would not even be advisable. But, but a lot of stuff that we deal with in our common everyday goings and comings is stuff that really we can restore the relationship if we choose to look at it God's way. All right. Watch this. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by. Here it is again. And notice Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him close and said, you're one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. It goes back. This, this is another account of it. Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. And he went out into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. And the text says when the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. And you know how he goes on the third time he denies him. But guys, here's what I want you to understand. Uh, in this, uh, when we, the question is asked, what principle can we draw from this situation about the temptation to fail those we love? I think the thing that we got, one principle I, that, that I can, I think it comes to mind to me is, is that just because you were brave and were standing today don't mean that you're going to be standing next week. If you don't, prepare yourself to stand. Just because you were faithful last year, there are people who were faithful last year in the church, and now I don't ever see them. There are people who, who were a part of this ministry who said, Pastor, I'm with you, and, and I'm going to hold your hands up, and I ain't seen them in 15 years. And I believe at the time that they said that, they meant that. But if you don't stand guard over your heart, your mind, and your soul, if you don't stay in the word of God, even though you may be standing strong today, you could be withering away next week. Would y'all agree? I, I think we can, we can surmise that because Peter stood strong in the guard when they came to arrest him. But then now, a few hours later, he's backtracking. Amen. I want to make sure that I, and I, I pray that you want to make sure that, that you are constantly preparing yourself. We cannot rest on our laurels. Okay. We cannot, uh, you know, continue to think that we're going to still be strong just because we, 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 we were studying for the last 10 years, but we hadn't done anything lately, but that what we studied last, the last 10 years is going to keep us. No, we got to constantly be before the word of God. We got to constantly keep being fed the word of God. Okay. So the look with me, uh, John, the 21st chapter, uh, Verse number 15, watch this. Here's a beautiful ending to the story because, again, Peter failed Jesus, but yet Jesus, amen, confronts him after the resurrection and begins to 
to, to let him know that I still got a work for you to do. John 21st chapter, verse number 15 through 19. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Next verse, he says this. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Next verse, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. 18 and 19. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. 19. Jesus said, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him what? Follow me. The very same guy who denied him before the crucifixion. Now Jesus is telling him, come on, follow me. He says, come on, come on. I'm taking you back in and I'm going to use you. And you know the rest of Peter's story, how God used him mightily. Amen. To help, to help lead many thousands to, 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 to faith in Christ Jesus. But the point I want to make with this is that Jesus didn't give up on Peter because Peter failed him. And guys, we can't give up on people because they fail us sometimes. Look, look down with me, if you will. Um, and, and part three says there's a genuine encouragement in knowing that God will always forgive us when we fail him. Again, failing God doesn't feel good. And it should never feel good when we mess up and don't do what we're supposed to do. OK, but what about when we fail others or they fail us? Is there always a guarantee or rest, a guarantee of restoration? Are there any safeguards to prevent it from happening? And I think that there are some things that we can learn that can help keep us uh, from, uh, from, from failing those who we love. Look with me. Let's, let's go to Proverbs 18 and 19 right quick. We're going to look at these and see if we can pull out a principle that can help us uh, in, our, in our walk uh, with, uh, uh, with God and in our relationship with other people. Peter was restored. God set him on assignment. And there are people in your life who uh, have hurt you and, and failed you. But but learn how to restore. And even when we mess up and we hurt people, um, learn how to repent and learn how to go and, and ask for forgiveness. Amen. Proverbs 18, 19. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. OK. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. So one of the things I think that it's important for us to do if, if we're going to not fail people is first of all, you know, make sure that we don't offend people. When I say purposely offend people, we can do stuff that's offensive in the way we say stuff and how we, we, we behave ourselves, but don't intentionally try to hurt somebody. Okay? As a born-again believer, our, our goal should never be to try to hurt someone intentionally. And now we know that sometimes hurt people hurt people. Is that right? When, whenever you've been hurt, then you turn around and try to hurt someone else. But again, don't be offensive. And then, uh, you know, it says arguments se- separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Uh, there are going to be times, guys, when you're going to have disagreements with people. Like I said, friends ought to be able to disagree without being disagreeable. 
But the thing I want, I want to understand is that I, we, should, we should be careful that we don't do stuff that's offensive to people. All right? Go to the next one. Let's go to the next Proverbs. Proverbs uh, 20, verse number 6. Let's look at this one right quick. If we're going to put ourselves in a business where we're not failing people on a consistent basis. Many will say that they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? All right. In other words, one of the qualities that we need to make sure that we incorporate in our walk with God and in our relationship with people is, is to be be loyal, be be faithful, be loyal to people. Don't you know loyalty is something that's truly missing in today's society. People will tell you that they that they that they're with you and they're going to be there, and then when it's when it's showtime, they're nowhere around. Make sure that you are loyal to those who you call your friends. Now, loyalty don't mean that you go and, and sin with them. Loyalty means that even when they mess up, you're not going to throw them away. Amen? I said when they mess up or when they hurt your feelings, you don't throw a true friend away. Many will say that they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? Go to the KJV on that. But I like the way it reads in Proverbs 20, verse 6 in the KJV, King James Version of Scripture. That. It says, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man who can find. So if we're going to not fail people who we love, we got to learn how to be faithful to them. Faithful to God and faithful to the relationship. Look at the next verse. Uh, go to Isaiah 2 and 22. Isaiah 2 and 22. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Are you still with me? Isaiah 2 and 22. Let's look at this right quick. Don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. How many of y'all know your breath is frail? Let me know what you just, just breathe. What good are they? So, so okay, now, Brother Pastor, that, that, that sounds, you know, sort of contradictory. He says, don't put your trust in mere humans. What I'm saying is that know this, that all of us in here are fallible. So if I'm your friend or we're in covenant relationship together, when I mess up, don't let my mess up destroy you. Are you tracking with me? In other words, I'm not going to, I love you, but I'm going to look at you as a human being. I'm not going to look at you as a, as a person who cannot fail. So he says, don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. What good are they? So if, 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 if we're going to, if we're going to stay on point, then make sure that you understand that we all are subject to falling. We're human beings, right? All right. Go to the next one. John, uh, John, the second chapter, verse 23 to 25. John 2, 23 says what? Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many begin to trust in him. Look at 24. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. Go to Matthew 15, verse 19 with him right quick. I'm looking at, no one needed to tell him what he, what mankind is really like. Here again, we emphasize the point is that people are people and people mess up. But when people mess up, let's let's know that they are human. We got to know that that we all are subject to falling. So don't let that knock you out of the box. Amen. If, if we're going to restore relationship, we got to realize that everybody is subject to falling. Go with me to Matthew 15 and 19 right quick. Watch this. And all of us have this on the inside of us. It says, for from the heart 
come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Next verse. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. The, the first verse is what I want to hone in on. All of us in here have a heart condition that needs to be rectified. Know that and understand that because it's out of our heart that comes all this evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. All evil comes where? From out of man's heart. Sometimes we look at what people are on the outside and we don't, we don't, we don't think about what's on the inside. When, when you're in covenant relationship with anybody, know that you got to realize that on the inside, there is some stuff that, that's, that, that needs to be rectified. And only God's word, his Holy Spirit, can transform the inside of the person. So when you only look at the outside, and then when that person who looks good on the outside does something that, that just blows you away, you get all blown away because you never looked at that person's heart to know that they got some evil stuff on the inside, that if they don't allow the Holy Spirit and the word of God to do its perfecting work, that stuff is going to eventually come out. Okay, so know that and understand that. Romans 15 and 1. Got two more and we, we finish. Romans 15 and 1. It says, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. Now, again, if you study this whole passage in, in, in 14, chapter, you know that Paul is dealing with a situation where you had Jews and Gentiles coming together into the body of Christ, this new institution that's called the church. And so you had Jews and you had Gentiles who had different backgrounds and different ways of doing things. And there were some, some especially the, the, the Gentile believers, didn't want to do some of, some of the things that, that the Jewish believers were accustomed to doing, dressed in a certain way, observing certain holy days, eating or not eating certain meats, okay? So what Paul is saying here in, in what we got to realize if we're going to be in the position where we can uh, stand tall with people who may be thinking a little bit different than us. He says we who are strong must be considered of those who are sensitive about things like not eating meat that was offered to idols, things like not wearing dress, not wearing pants to church. We got to be sensitive to those things. So there, there are some things that a weaker brother is not up to the par on yet. But you who are strong got to make sure that you don't allow that to cause you to look at that person and, and break fellowship with them. Are y'all with me? Okay. So the last one right quick. Uh, Colossians, the third chapter, verse number 13. So being considered of others, uh, other people's convictions, especially the weaker brother or sister, make allowance. Look, at this is real important. Make allowance for each other's faults and do what? And forgive anyone who. Do y'all have trouble forgetting people, who, forgive people who offend you? Do you have trouble sometimes? All right. So so what does this say? Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. We got to have a forgiving spirit is what he's telling us right here. Make allowance for each other's fault. Listen, anybody who you're in relationship with are going to at some point in time, if you if you if you get along enough, if you are together long enough, I guarantee you, you're going to have a disagreement. There's going to be a, 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 a difference of opinion. And your friendship is going to really be tested to see if it's real friendship when you can disagree with your friend and y'all still be friends. If y'all can't disagree and you pull away because y'all disagree, y'all were never really friends in the first place. How many of y'all know it's true? Okay. So we got to make sure that we make allowance for other people's faults so that whenever they do mess up and they will invariably, 
then we can forgive them and then bring them back into our fellowship. Okay. So Peter was restored by Jesus. Peter felt bad for what he did. And Jesus brought him back and put him on assignment. Come and follow me. And so there are people in your life who you failed or, 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 or maybe uh, people who failed you. Learn to forgive. And if you're the one who's failed somebody, uh, make sure you ask for that forgiveness so that God can restore the relationship and you can get back to your proper place in God. OK, so we all have faced this. So when, when it happens, let's prepare our hearts and be ready to receive that person back. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this. time.